This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are The Worst Gal Gang Ever, a podcast and platform to support, educate, and empower people through the heartbreaking experience of baby loss. This summer sees us launching our one-of-a-kind pathway to recovery. A course to shine a guiding light through these dark times. To find out more, visit our website, www.theworstgirlgangever.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we are joined in the fancy studio by Emma Haslam, who you may know as your IVF abroad on Instagram. So Emma, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Your um, your studio looks a lot like uh, the inside of a car. <laughs> Yes. Now, I wasn't going to tell people that I was professionally sat in the inside of my car. But you know what? You do you. Sometimes in a hailstorm. As long as everyone's got a studio to be in, it's fine. <laughs> and the hailstones have stopped, ladies. So we're good. Fabulous. <laughs> I didn't think the hail ever stopped up north. Oh, it does. Was the permanent weather. Whereabouts no. are you? I'm in North Yorkshire, yeah. near Skipton. So it's sort of Yorkshire Dales. End of the oh, world. It does rain. Emmerdale land. Yeah, not far from Emmerdale. I used to go on holiday to the uh, Yorkshire Dales every single year, and I'm sure I went to Sk- Skipton once because we needed to find a laundress. My brother got food poisoning and puked all over our our caravan. <laughs> and that's your lasting memory of Skipton. Yeah, Skipton <laughs> just reminds me of Sicton. <laughs> Sicton. Anyway, we digress slightly. Let's go from the very beginning. So what led you to go abroad for IVF? Yeah, so basically um, we were hoping for a free cycle on the NHS, like most people. Um, But I knew I would probably have to lose weight. So I was told to go away and lose weight. And I lost six stone for treatment, which I've got on. I put it all back on, by the way. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> yeah, I did that sort of over a couple of years because I wanted to do it healthily. And then I got to the appointment all excited and slim and slender and feeling fabulous to be told that the rules in our area had changed and the BMI limit was now 30. So they asked me if I could just go and lose like another couple of stone. Oh, and like I that. Said, yeah. yeah, sure. No worries. No problem. Um and I had a diagnosis of low AMH and perimenopause, so time was ticking. Um, mm. How so old were you at that point? Thirty-three. Okay. Okay. Not so not by yeah, not by any means, you know. No. And Adam had issues on his side as well, so we were definitely challenged in that department. Um, so we left saying, "No, we're not. I'm not losing any more weight." 
um because I didn't want to have to just like resort to drastic measures and stuff yeah like I say I was thinking about time and we had no plan we began to look into private treatment in the UK paid out for a few consultations and the cost of a fortune didn't find a clinic that we kind of gelled with looked up costs on the website and then got the real costs after consultation and realized that we probably couldn't afford it um moved back in with my poor parents so a new husband uh, parents in a small house and began to save wow Um, hang on hang on a minute that's the ideal conditions for having a baby isn't it I do the 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 that really generates the romance and the love and the swinging off the chandeliers yeah sounds (laughs) sounds like you were set for the newlyweds oh it's great yeah Yeah. you know don't get me wrong yeah needs must and grateful that we could do that but we quickly realized we could probably save up and fund one round of IVF in the UK or go abroad um and have more cycles Mm. and because we were given like a three to five percent chance of conceiving we knew that it was very unlikely to work anyway three Um, to five percent is that all yeah why so low um so adam has low sperm count and motility and my amh was like so so low um so between us that's the that's what we were given um, so with we're sorry to interrupt with the low sperm count and, and motility is that like there's not many of them and they're swimming in the wrong direction that's absolutely right yeah okay. basically um and that combined with you know my eggs being down to the last I mean the consultant said to me you know it's you're down to your old kind of duff eggs which they'd only say in Yorkshire wouldn't they duff but um <laughs> you know so it's a combination they said you've got between three and five percent chance so we we thought wow. it was not going to work anyway yeah like where do you where do you go with that three to five percent that's that's not great is it did you ever consider not doing IVF and just saying that we're going to spend all this money with a three to five percent chance like is yeah we sure Um, we want to do this I think at that point it was very much a there must be another there must be another way you know it may be if we have a few cycles it might work we're so desperate to become Mm. parents we did we did go and have um, a meeting with adoption with a local council about adoption and, and that didn't feel quite right and the process for that is really tough Mm. um and so we came away from that thinking not sure that's right for us um and then what happened is as soon as we kind of started looking into IVF abroad and we arranged some free consultations every single clinic that we spoke to said to us that we shouldn't try with our own eggs and sperm that if if we wanted to they would support us but in their opinion they wouldn't recommend it which I think is a really obviously difficult thing to hear Mm. but I like the fact that they were so honest yeah and that just must increase your percentage chance of of it being successful right if that were the they were the issues to begin with yeah and like they said to us you know would you consider donor treatment and I've never really thought about donor treatment I've not really heard about it Mm. it wasn't anything that we'd ever kind of considered um but it was something that we decided to do and all of a sudden those sort of chances of three to five percent were up at 60 to 70 percent okay gosh that Um, must have been so exciting for you 
Yeah, and I mean, there are lots of feelings and things to process when going down the donor route, but I can honestly say that the initial feeling I had on Adam was hope. Like, for yeah. the first time, such a long time, I just felt like, wow, maybe, actually, it's a numbers game, and on those odds, yeah. if we could afford two or three rounds, then I'm probably going to get pregnant. Um, yeah. And so, and so did they, at any point, did they say, well, we could try using your eggs or we could try using Adam's sperm? Or were they just like, at the start, were they like, no, look, guys, let's be honest here. His sperm are swimming wonky directions. Your eggs are duff. <laughs> let's get a fresh set and a fresh swimmers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, again, they said in their opinion, they thought we need a double donation. Um, okay. But that we could, if we wanted to, to try with Adam's sperm. But they didn't think it was going to work. Right. And so, did that? Do you think that that made it easier for you as a couple? The fact it was both of you. It was both of your being replaced. As in, it wasn't like there was no issue with right. This is someone else's egg, but my husband's sperm, and that feels a bit strange, or vice versa. Yeah, I think I think it definitely did because so Adam had um, he loves it when I discuss his balls on podcasts, but um, <laughs> Adam had. <laughs> yeah he had an undescended testicle when he was younger and um there was some trauma obviously caused during that operation and he'd had some sort of sperm test just at the GP before I had my you know more in-depth testing at gynecology so he convinced himself in his words that it was his fault which obviously oh. is not how I saw it and I think for him in a way the fact that it was both of us like alleviated this guilt that he'd put upon himself I never thought that about him or the situation and I think I'm a bit more pragmatic and I would have preferred one of us to have had healthy you know eggs or sperm but for him I know that that made it easier and perhaps as a couple now it makes it easier I don't know um because you know we're both in it together exactly aren't we yeah yeah I, I I can just imagine that being it's almost like starting at a level pegging again, isn't it? It's not like, oh, well, actually, this is biologically my child and not your child. You know, not that you would ever do that, but that's never even going to be a, pos- a, a consideration for, for either of you. You wouldn't ever no. do that, but you probably always think in the back of your mind that the other person is thinking that. Is or thinking that, or that, that, yeah. Blame yeah. you or that, you know, you, you like you say, that guilt, you carry that guilt. But, yeah. Think, blaming yourself is horrible I think we're hard, we're, we're obviously harder on ourselves than we are on on the, our loved yeah, ones aren't definitely. we and I think that would be really yeah really yeah challenging. yeah definitely and like you say maybe some of the feelings that might have come up perhaps then then haven't and I think we both kind of the donor card we both I think dealt with it quite well and whether that's because we'd looked into alternative paths to parenthood and because our chances were just so low and we'd been trying for so long that we were just desperate to become parents. And mm. you know, there may be challenges in the future, but there can be challenges with biological children. And yeah. I think know, there's challenges we, with everything. There's, you know, this is just yeah. it's life, isn't it? Life often yeah. so so many challenges, no matter what your situation or your your journey, your past journey or your future journey. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just life and your journey is different from other people's. And it will, yeah. as, that, as such, will offer different challenges. Yeah, completely. And I, you know, I think, you know, we've we've already started talking to to our son Albie about how he came to be, and obviously in an age appropriate way. I mean, he's nearly three, so he knows that mummy and daddy had broken, you know, seed and eggs, and that 
you know a kind man and lady donated and you know so he understands that um wow and he's only nearly three yeah yeah he's the right chatterbox you'd never you'd never think where you might get that from but uh, <laughs> yeah. um, he's on it and um you know so we have started those kind of conversations already and hope by normalizing it that he'll see just how much we wanted him that we yes. were kind of willing to do that and you know I can I can honestly say that I've never looked at him and thought he's not our child because he is he just yeah. is isn't he? I mean you know do you think I've, it's easier um as the woman because you actually carry them and feel them and and you're you're pregnant with them so there's an automatic bond there isn't there I think that yeah I mean I think that must help mustn't it because I I knew that with things like you know um adoption I would never get to carry a baby or give birth Mm. and I really wanted to to experience those things and I think you do begin to bond because you are growing them and you know they've got part of your epigenetics when you're when you're carrying them and stuff so yeah I do think that helps um but from conversations with Adam and he's very honest and you know he I mean we've got nothing to compare it to but he's not Mm. felt any kind of issues with with bonding I think we went into it with our eyes open and he's just everything that we wanted him to be and you know he's so like us it's uncanny um both in the way that he looks and in the way he is because I guess the whole nurture nature nurtures it yeah yeah Um, did you did you get like a um so how did the process work which country what country were you in we went to the Czech Republic and do you get like a a, a catalogue or do you get to choose or no so basically the process varies in different countries um countries that are within the eu tend to not do the whole flicking through a catalog and picking somebody which is available in some countries so in the czech republic um they use something called phenotype matching which is like really sophisticated software where they will put your pictures through with and they've got your other details like your height your hair colour, your skin colour, your eye colour, your weight. Um, and then they will match you on their database, the closest matching people to you. And then obviously there's some, some human eye involved in that as well. So it That's has to be right. That's yeah, really clever, isn't legally, it? So clever. They have to legally um do it that way so that they are literally matching you to as, as close a person as you can. So, you know, we we chose a clinic that not we didn't choose them based on that but we were lucky that we chose in a clinic that had a large pool of available donors did you have just the one cycle or how many were there so we had well we had three transfers we actually had four cycles one of them um was cancelled just before i was due to fly out for transfer because i had um an ovarian cyst which was quite annoying mm. but i had three transfers um and on the final, on the third transfer, which was free actually, because usually they would expect you would be pregnant by the second transfer with um, donor treatment. There's never any guarantees, is there? But um, that's what they said to me. And so the okay. third free, and we had um, two put back on that cycle because we wanted ideally wanted two children and thought, well, we could go for twins and then we would be would be done. Mm. Um, we'd become pregnant. I did sadly lose one of them at. 10 weeks which is really tough anyway but I I felt very much like I should just be grateful and crack on Mm. because I had one and obviously I was grateful and I did crack on but 
it was a bit like, yeah, it was a bit of a strange time, really. Yeah. And I didn't really deal with that and just. Yeah. I think we've spoken to several people who have had similar experiences with losing a twin. And uh, I think, yeah, you do focus on the one that you're going to be bringing home, right? But it must yeah. be really difficult to deal with. Yeah, it, it is difficult. And I think because we've now decided, because we have the whole, do we go again for a sibling thing, the whole secondary infertility stuff. And I just don't know whether I can go through it again. I had awful postnatal depression after I had Albie. I think the accumulation of back-to-back cycles, years of trying, everything that we kind of went through all came bubbling out after I'd had him. And I think, you know, grieving for the other twin and just don't feel like I'm now in a really good place. I had therapy mm. really helped me. And I just, you know, it's finances, it's it's emotions, it's everything, isn't it? And yeah. now I've got a child to consider as well. And I just think, I think we're done now. Well, we are done. We've decided that, that, that that's it. And I'm, you know, I'm 40 now, I'm nearly 41. Um, so my focus is obviously on my son and helping other people to try. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's I mean, oh, that's wow. it's something must be such a difficult decision to come to. But as you say, like sometimes your mental health, I mean, always your mental health should be absolutely par- paramount. But it sounds like you've put your mental health first. Yeah, and there's just no, no guarantees, is there? And I just think. No. Did you to and fro with that decision for a while? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean. In the, you know, once we'd decided on one stone of conception that kind of worked and we thought we were having twins, it was like, brilliant, we're going to have two children, mm-hmm. which was the plan. But like, like you say, you know, life, sometimes we have to adapt to our plans, don't we? And I am incredibly lucky and incredibly grateful for my son. Um, and I feel like for him and for, for us and for myself and mental health, everything. And plus, I'm a, you know, I'm a bit older now and I just think it's time to stop. Because if it was guaranteed, then great but it's not is it as we know and I just think I've kind of I'm done I'm sort of in that in that same spot as you were at the moment do we do we stop now or do we put ourselves through it all again and uh it's uh if you had a crystal ball and you knew that it would work that first time yeah go for it wouldn't you but you just there's no guarantees like you say so hard so hard and I think because I had such awful postnatal depression and while I don't think that that would happen again because I really should have stopped between failed cycles and had some support I should have put my hand up way sooner than I did to say that I was struggling but again there was a whole shame and thinking how can you how can you not be happy Mm. when you've got a baby so I didn't speak up until he was about nine months old by that point I was really not very well and you know, I think I would handle it differently if that was to happen this yeah. time, because actually it's OK. It's OK. And it's no wonder in lots of ways. Um, and I'm not ashamed of it, you know, and now I'm through the other side. It's easy for me to talk about it. But at the time it was crippling. And I think part of me has the fear of, of that. But at the same time, I've got a lot, of, you know, I've got different coping strategies that I've had from from therapy. And, you know, I just... The, the whole thing is traumatic, isn't it? Going through infertility. Totally. So what, when you started IVF, yeah, had you been through losses or years of trying beforehand? We'd, so I'd had a miscarriage with a previous partner um, okay. 
few years ago. Um, and But then since I've been with Adam, we'd been trying, well, it, in total from kind of starting casually trying to train, mm-hmm. train. We're not really trying. We're just seeing seeing how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not really trying. We might be trying a bit now, but we're really definitely trying. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> like yeah, six and a bit years. So I think we probably okay. tried, tried naturally for a, you know, a couple of years. Um, yeah, that's a long time for that to be your main focus in life, isn't it? I think yeah. it's... Especially it, when it da- takes over, doesn't it? It's yeah. not like, it's not even a main focus it's like an obsession isn't it and yeah just uh, that in itself even that monthly like oh am I ovulating oh where am I in my cycle oh do we need to have sex oh my gosh my relationship I don't really want to have sex but I'm gonna have sex and we've just fallen out and actually I can't really stand you but I'm gonna have to make up with you now because we need to have sex tonight because it's the window just that is fucking exhausting yeah. let alone all the like what's wrong with my body why isn't this working it should be working all my and friends then you've got are all the pregnant. hormones with the IVF as well it's just shit it's a massive shit sandwich so shit shit show shitty shit shitness and then when you get the thing that you wanted and you're not 100% happy because you're never going to be because let's face it being this a mom is, is really freaking hard. So Ooh. hard. Um, yeah, you do feel ashamed and guilty. And if that's on top of postnatal depression, it's going to be a horrendous time. You poor thing having postnatal depression. I can imagine that having been through everything that you've been through to then get postnatal depression, you just must, like, what? how do you even process that in your head? Just be like, I wanted mm. this baby for so long and now I've got it. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I can imagine that's how you might feel. Yeah. Not that obviously is is what you, you should feel, but mm. yeah, it must have been frightening. So frightening. Yeah, I just thought I must be a really, really bad person. Yeah. Mm. And you weren't, and you're not. And I was I, mean, I don't know what you've done in the other part of your life. So <laughs> <laughs> any bodies in the under the patio or anything, that would that would do yeah. it. <laughs> but it just no. I think the whole thing is such a shit show and I hate that about miscarriage I hate that about loss I hate that about infertility struggles is the fact that you have this event by itself which is traumatic and exhausting and painful enough and then you have the hormones and the ugly feelings and the the lack of love for your body and all that that piles in on top of that so it's just as you say it's a shit sandwich mm. like, in a really good place now and but you know what's really interesting when I work with with people and then obviously that you know they've got their own stuff going on and I still feel it with every single one of our clients because you just don't ever forget and I'm so aware and I, what I try to do and hopefully do well is anticipate some of the things that might worry and stress them out and so that I can try mm. and stop some of those things from happening because you know, it, and, and watching what some of them are going through, it's just awful, which is why I enjoy my job because I get to be able to support them through it. Because I think unless you've been there, you, you just don't get it. You can try and that's great. Yeah. But you don't get it, do you? Yeah, totally. There. Tell us a bit more about your job then. Tell us about what you do for people. The best job in the world, you mean? Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Yeah, it's brilliant. So basically, when we went and had our experience, we were like, wow, clinically, this is brilliant. But we just wish we'd have had, Adam said, we need a fairy godmother to have just sorted everything out for us, to ask, answer all the questions, to sort out trouble. We had no idea what we were doing to find a clinic. Luckily, we got a good one. 
Um, I think because I'm a bit of a nerd and do, you know, enjoy researching, but it was a little bit of a leap of faith, I will be honest, because back then what we were doing. So then we thought to ourselves, do you know what? There must be other people that that will want to know that you can go abroad and save loads of money. But actually, your BMI, you know, isn't the sole focus. Um, And other people that are turned down, for example, for NHS treatment in the UK, you know, and need need to go privately, that they could be, it's accessible, the treatment's accessible abroad. So and then people, those sorts of people, you mean um, like someone who might have had a, a child in a previous relationship or over yes. a certain age or something like that? Yeah. Okay. Or the BMI's too low or the BMI's too high and all those kind of things exclude people from treatment. We knew yeah. that, you know, treatment would be more accessible, more affordable. And actually, how nice would it be to have had support through what we were going through? Not from yeah. council, but just from somebody who got it and could sort of take away some of the faff, take away some of the fuss. Um, so yeah. that's when we that's when so we lost. It wasn't as scary an experience, and other people weren't having to take a leap of faith like you were. Other people were just guided through a, pro- a you know a normal process. Yeah, I think there's so much to be said for that kind of. It's it's kind of what we do really. It's like a peer to peer support. We're not experts. We're not doctors. We're not midwives. We don't have to watch our back about what we say and what might be technically not correct and what. But it's you don't need that. I think when you're in this trauma and you're in this horrendous situation, you don't know what way is up. You don't need all that resource resource based information led stuff. You just need someone to hold your hand and say that this is my experience. That's all I can give you. I'm not a professional, but you know I'm here for you. And I got. But I know in. someone who is, and I can point you in the direction. Yeah, really when you need it, or this really good therapist, or yeah. Absolutely. And if you just want to talk and moan about it, then I'm your I'm your well, gal. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, in terms of what we do, so when we were looking for a clinic, we found that the most overwhelming thing. You type IVF abroad into Google, and you are faced with so many things. It's like, oh my god where do I even start? And of course, yeah. places that you would, could go to and get your teeth done and get your boobs done at the same time, not ideal. You know, there are places <laughs> but in some ways, maybe a one-stop shop. <laughs> maybe that's an avenue that needs to be explored. Yes, but not by your IVF and broad. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, look, I'm just throwing out business ideas for you. <laughs> um, Very cool. Um, you know, there are clinics that go, we've got a 99% success rate. And it's like, hmm, have you really? Mm. So, you know, I'm not saying IVF abroad everywhere is okay because it won't be. So what we do, I've spent the last, like, from the time I was, you know, researching for ourselves and up until Albie was born, I spent over four years manically researching everything, yeah. IVF abroad and clinics. And what we do is we match people to clinics that we feel will suit them in terms of their their wants, their personalities, uh, the destinations they like, but also their kind of medical circumstances. So we're not doctors. We don't give medical advice, but just based on what they tell us, we then go away and we match to three clinics. And then we give them like um, a swanky PDF document on each of the clinics just with enough information in that they think, yeah, I can see she's not just totally plucked that out of thin air. There's been some thought gone into this, but not so much that they think, whoa, I feel like Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we only use clinics that have got um, independently validated success rates. We put things like that in there. And, you know, we only work with safe 
regulated clinics. We stick all that information in there. So we just effectively narrow that pool down for people. And then we can sit between them and the, the clinics if they want us to, and we can manage all the emails and stuff so that everything's understood. And, you know, like sometimes, sometimes when you're dealing with a clinic abroad, you can have a few emails going backwards and forwards, just trying to understand that the spoken English is, is good, but sometimes mm-hmm. the written English, you just don't quite get the first time what they're saying. So we manage that for clients so that we can try and when we go to the client, they've got the, they're not having that, what does that mean? I don't understand. They've got one email. Yeah. I think that as well, like, you know, when you get a phone call and there's, it's not an, an English first language, it's the, the person that you speak to is not English first language. There is... There is an element, I think, of you that goes, oh, I'm freaked out because this is different and it's not what I, I'm used to. And and that must be in if you are reading something and it's in, in broken English, there must be a kind of element of you that goes, fuck, is this too much? Is yeah. this, I, I'm not. Or you lose well, a little bit of faith in them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Whether whether you want to, you know, whether it's conscious or, or yeah. of the opposite yeah. of conscious subconscious that's the one <laughs> I was gonna say unconscious and then I was like no because if you're unconscious you wouldn't even be able to read it <laughs> but yeah that, and that's I think that's absolutely incredible that you're doing that and in terms of like um money so what is the like the average cost of IVF abroad so you can have IVF with ICSI from about two grand depending on where you go upwards um, and what is it in this so- country well, the average cost of IBF in the UK is upwards of 10,000. Um, so it's a huge difference. Obviously, you have to factor in your flights and your accommodation. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have at least two cycles if you went abroad. And the other thing to kind of mention is that it's really lovely not to be at home when you're having IBF. I can't yeah, because I've never had IBF in the UK, but pre-flying out for treatment, I remember, you know, I was taking blood thinners and having injecting those in the toilets at work, which is just not ideal, is it? No. Um, and then going back to work. So, you know, when you go away, you're actually not at the clinic all the time, are you? You only go a couple of times, you know, two, three times. And so we had a lovely time um, waltzing around the Czech Republic enjoying ourselves. Nice. And I think there's some benefits to that. Um, and like, you know, after clients have kind of chosen a clinic and, and just it's worth saying at this point, because I'm really proud of this. And it's I think it's important that we are the only company that I know of in the UK or Ireland that doesn't take commission from clinics, because what we didn't want to be was somebody or a company that were led by was led uh-huh. by in terms of who paid the fattest commissions is where we tell our clients, because I just don't think there's a, there's a one size fits all with clinics and I really yeah. wanted to be on the side of our clients because it's not long ago that we were where they are um and you know we we also offer a treatment service now so again we can support them all the way through if we want them if they want us to and we can organize flights accommodation help them with medication scans um and again do that clinic liaison if they want us to to just cut down on the noise of emails and often I can answer you know, often if the clinic sends me something and I don't understand, if it's not medical, I usually, I can, you know, flick an email back and get an answer before I go to our client or I can answer it, you know, and I know what they mean. Or them, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it saves that time and that stress because I found that bit quite stressful. Um, 
you know, getting an email and thinking, what, what the fuck does that mean? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, but then when I was there, their English was great. And on consultation, it's absolutely fine. It's just sometimes the written English and most of the communication is mm. via email. I'm just trying yeah, to understand. Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it does sound amazing. So how can, because uh, there will be, I'm sure, lots of people listening that would like to get in touch with you and find out more. So how can people do that? So we are on Instagram at Your IVF Abroad. And our website is yourivfabroad.co.uk. And we offer a free 20 minute um, discovery call where you can. Sounds snazzy. We are snazzy, apart from I'm in my car, um, where you can find, you know, ask questions about the service. Um, I'm not there to hard sell you IVF abroad. It's very much, you know, about just giving you more information for you to decide. Yeah, I think that's so awesome that when loads of people do all this incredible amount of research, it seems crazy for other people not to benefit from it. And setting up what you have done will allow so many people to benefit from your hard work. And that's really when you look into all this stuff, like the the lengths that women and couples go to to educate themselves about fertility and IVF and stuff. And then not to ever use that is such a waste in a way because yeah. you are supplying yourself with an education. So the fact that you're now going to be able to educate others in in what you've learned and through the pain as well that that is in, insanely cool. I think. Awesome. The the only thing that I did struggle with massively in the beginning was the thought of charging people money for something. Yeah, um, I can understand because, that. Yeah, because everything's so expensive. IVF is so expensive, but. I think because the treatment that we can offer and the support and and how we can make it possible for people who perhaps it isn't possible for in the UK or their home countries, and because the costs are so much less, I've kind of got my head around that now. And and now we've had, you know, we've got, we've had one IVF abroad baby, we've got another one on the way. Uh, And when I see the difference that it can make to people, then, you know, I think, no, it's okay. It's, It's fine. You know, and also we, because we don't take commission a lot of the clinics do let us give a discount to clients off their treatment as well that's a little sweetener as well and uh you know but it's, seeing it I as think valuable support. I can totally see why you're saying what you're saying but at the same time Emma what you've got to remember is that you wouldn't be able to do this if you weren't getting paid you wouldn't be able to help yeah. these people because you would have to have a different job yeah. and I think the more it, it's so valuable to people what you're doing offers such a huge value to people more way more than in a monetary sense but you have to be able to earn from what you do to be able to pass on your 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 education yeah and also oh shit now I might have forgotten the also but it was really important (laughs) but also what there's so many people like who has time when they have to earn money, you know, people have to earn money people have to go to jobs and they have to do this and, and often they have to do a nine till five and that's exhausting enough but to then come home and have to do all this research like gosh I'm a, if I was in the position if I was in a position I would definitely recruit your services because there is so much out there and I would be ter- I would personally be terrified of yeah. you know booking someone who was just gonna like send me into some room with you a, potentially a, could chuck a lot more money down the drain couldn't you Oh yeah, we'll just if you have an chose idea. the wrong clinic. Yeah. Oh yeah, and just and just stress. And then what if you do book yourself in somewhere that's not particularly safe or regulated and stuff, and or has a male prostitute, 
Or has yeah. a male prostitute, yeah. Mm. I mean, well, it depends on what you floats your boat, doesn't it? But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I, and like I say, I think now, I, you know, now I've kind of, you know, we get the testimonials. I've got lovely relationships with our clients and I just love it. And then now I see the value in what we are. Yeah what we are doing and I do loads of stuff for free like I've got a, a free support group on on Facebook for people who are sort of curious about or planning or having IVF abroad it doesn't have to be through us but I just want to help as many people as I can well, that's cool we'll link um, that in the um we'll link all your details in the podcast description so that people well, can, can get in touch yeah. with you and then there's Rainbow Running Club isn't there lovely Rainbow yeah. Running Club oh we Lucy our yeah. first of our first ever podcast guest she was yeah, was, really yeah. So, so Lucy's taken a step back now hasn't she yeah she's taken a step back and just before I, I became leader of um leader of, the, of the, the North Yorkshire group and then Covid hit so I've never actually gone and done one yet I mean I'm I'm there for the cake and the walking and the chats and the bants. I'm not a I'm in sister. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think that's a good thing in a way as well, because there'll be lots of, you know, people who think, oh, I'm not a runner, I can't possibly go. Yeah. Whereas they'll turn up and see me and be like, Yeah, I can I can walk and chat. And you know, that's my way of kind of trying to to give back. And I just wish I'd have known about all these lovely things that I don't think they existed. Sort no, of, they didn't. You know, that time ago um and I think we've got such a fabulous community haven't we particularly on Instagram of lovely yeah. people trying to muddle the way through this shit exactly exactly yeah. that people say to me why do you do all this stuff on Instagram isn't it just full of people showing like their posh homes and things like that and I'm like oh do you know f- through all of its faults there is this wonderful community there yeah. where everyone is supportive of each other and yeah, yeah I, I don't know how I did it how I went through all of what, that I've been through without it I just think it's an, an amazing resource for people that are yeah. going through it now me too and I love podcasts like podcasts are my favorite and I just think oh if I'd have like I still listen to them now <laughs> um but you know if I'd have had like your podcast and some of the other podcasts like BFN and Fertility mm-hmm. Podcast it would have been so so helpful hang on sorry are you are you plugging other people's podcasts on our podcast don't worry I'll cut that bit yeah, <laughs> cut that bit right out just this podcast I wish I had just <laughs> this podcast um because I mean podcasts are don't even get me started on podcasts because I'll just be boring you about all the podcasts that I love but um I still listen to them now even though we're not trying to concede just because mm. I think they're so great um and so what you're doing is fantastic ladies Thank you. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Yeah, it's not bad. It's all right. I think what you do is so valuable and so inspirational. Thank you so thank much you. for coming on and telling us all about it. Mm. Oh, thank you, Lisa. to meet you. Yeah, yeah you too. IRL, sort of. <laughs> sort of. Hope the weather gets better in your car up there. <laughs> I know I'm so cold. <laughs> <laughs> I do have an office forward slash spare bedroom, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fancy. Honest. <laughs> Fancy Nancy. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, keep in touch and then um obviously we'll we'll sort of see you on the grid and um we'll share your stuff yes. and do all that shit. I say we, Laura. Well, I don't Laura. know how to do any of that stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Bex. Oh, wow, well, it's an absolute you. pleasure to meet you. Yeah, you too. Take care. Thanks keep a lot, ladies. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you next week. And to find out more about our Pathway to Recovery, please visit our website. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.